Amen. Amen. All right. Well, are you ready to uh, hit the ground running here? Uh, we have been on a series for the last few weeks now um, called Build an Ark. And the original uh, foundation of this series was Psalm 91, where we talked about building an ark, so to speak, of protection, and that God has a covenant of protection with his people. And so uh, we've covered a lot of ground already. Last week, we talked about building an ark of protection where our health is concerned and just uh, got some tips and some guidance from the scripture on how to live a healthy lifestyle. So if you haven't heard that, go back on the website and pull that up. I think there's some really important instruction in that. But today we're going to go to, in a different direction, and we're going to talk about building an ark of protection where your finances are concerned. So I'm calling the, uh, the teaching this morning, Protecting Your Financial Estate in Times of Uncertainty. Because, you know, some people, folks, are predicting a financial holocaust coming to this nation. Did you know that? Uh, so... I believe that God's people can be exempt from that if we do the right things. So that's what the basis of this teaching is this morning. So if you have found our master text in Matthew chapter 6, would you stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's word. I'm very excited about this teaching this morning. I'm glad you're here for this. This is the words of Jesus, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now he goes into a little bit of a, seems to be going in a different direction in verse 22. I'm going to explain how this is still in keeping with uh, the the train of thought that Jesus begins here. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, by the way, in uh, ancient Israel, that was a saying, an axiom back then. If your eyes are good, that means being generous. In, in ancient Israel, that was an axiom. That's what that meant. If your eyes are good, if you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, i.e., if you're stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, this very last line, I just need to let you know, I'm reading out of the NIV, and I actually like how some of the older versions translate this better. I think it's more accurate. If you're reading King James, New King James, or New American Standard, they do a better job of this particular verse. My version says, you cannot serve both God and money. Your ver version may say, you cannot serve both God and Mammon. Mammon is the appropriate word there. I'm going to get into that here in just a little bit. But that's, uh, that's the end of the reading. So all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. All right. Hallelujah. Well, on this note then, I want to offer you a key concept this morning as we get rolling here with this teaching. And the key concept is this, that earthly wealth is subject to loss. But wealth invested in the kingdom is secure forever. I want to say that again. 
earthly wealth is subject to loss, but wealth invested in the kingdom is secure forever. Now, this is why the Bible tells us to invest in things that don't wear out, that aren't subject to loss, theft, and decay. Now, recently, I watched a, a really good movie called Big George Foreman. Has anybody seen that one yet? Oh, my goodness. You've got to watch that movie. It's a very clean movie. It's about uh, former heavyweight champion George Foreman. And, uh, again, very clean. And it's about his conversion to Christ. And uh, you know, during his, the, the height of his boxing career in the 70s, he had an encounter with the Lord where um, he, he passed out after a fight and his heart stopped beating and he nearly, they nearly lost him. They were able to revive him and bring him back. And when he came back, he said, I just had an encounter with the Lord. And he, he quit boxing at that point and um, pursued the Lord and actually started a ministry. Well, fast forward several years, and he had entrusted his entire uh, fortune to a friend of his that he knew from years before who had become an accountant. He just turned everything over the, to this accountant and let him manage all of his finances. Because George Foreman didn't have a lot of higher education, he, he knew he didn't know how to manage that fortune, so he turned it over to this uh, accountant. Well, fast forward several years, and that accountant had to admit to him that he'd lost everything. Millions of dollars. And so by that time, George Foreman not only had a church, but he also had a youth center. And at the way the movie portrays it, I don't know if this was exactly how it, how it unfolded, but the way the movie portrayed it, all of a sudden they the electric company shut the power off at the youth center and they, George Foreman called and said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, your bill hasn't been paid. And he had no idea. And then he went to the accountant and found out all the money was gone. Millions of dollars and now he was broke. And that's why George Foreman later in life went back into boxing to keep the doors open of his, of his youth center and his church. That's why that happened. So I, I bring that story up to make a point here that the losses that George Foreman took is a really good example of how you can't put your trust in things because if our investments are in worldly things only, then there's a good chance that something might come along and sweep them away. But if our investments are in the kingdom, nothing can sweep that away. Praise God. So back to a little portion of our master text again. Um, once again, our master text said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, I want to make a couple of observations from that. So first of all, that last line, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where you decide to put your money is where your attention and your affection is going to be. If you invest in the stock market, all of a sudden you're going to become very interested in what the stock market is doing. You maybe couldn't have cared less about the Wall Street Journal prior to investing, but now when you invest some of your money in the stock market, now all of a sudden you're reading the Wall Street Journal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But I want to 
talk about the first part of this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, what does that mean, that you're not supposed to have any money or earthly goods? No, of course not. God knows we need money and possessions to live. What it does mean is that we shouldn't cling to money for dear life because, look, we understand that our heavenly account is way better than any earthly account. I'll say that again. Your heavenly account, I'm going to explain why, is way better than any earthly account. You see, there's not a safer investment in the world than investing in the kingdom because that's where your money is secure. So what does this mean? In practical terms, and what does this master text in Matthew 6, the words of Jesus, what does this mean in practical terms? And well, it means, first of all, that you send reward on ahead to heaven when you're generous that you'll get to enjoy while you're there. And side note, some people seem to believe that heaven is going to be like some sort of uh, celestial socialism where everybody's the same. That's not the way it works. Some people will have more reward in heaven than others because they sent more reward on ahead. That's the way that works. But secondly, another very important point as it applies to the here and now. Secondly, it means that we have a heavenly account that we get to draw on for our needs here and now. See, when we're generous, there's benefits in this life and I'm going to show you some of those promises in the scriptures along those lines as the teaching unfolds. But before I do that, I want to give you some updated testimonies. Now, some of you have heard my financial testimony and how God has been so faithful to me over the years and, and how Donna and I started out pretty much in poverty and how as we began to, to practice generosity and practice tithing, God took us out of a place of poverty, me even being without went to college for a couple years and took some classes and didn't do great and did terrible in high school. But when I started practicing generosity and tithing and giving alms to the poor and what have you, God began to prosper us. I'm not going to give you all those details right now because some of you have heard all those details. I may do that in the next teaching. I don't know. But I want to give you some updated testimonies along those lines. You know, prior to COVID, uh, this church hit a financial slump for a little while, we'd never really been in a financial slump before, but prior to COVID, we hit a really significant financial slump. So much so that not only were Donna and me not taking a salary, and that was nothing new because from time to time, Donna and I either take a small salary or no salary at all. Well, during this time, not only were we not able to take a salary, but we, this church couldn't even meet our bills. We couldn't meet, meet the lease payment on this building. We couldn't meet our electricity. There's only a few people in, in the congregation that even knew that. They were in the leadership. Guess how the doors of the church stayed open? Donna and I took money out of our personal account to meet those financial obligations. And it pretty much drained our savings. And that's how short we were coming every month. So Donna and I, took money out of our own account, and kept the church open. Although that wasn't easy for us, we were happy to do it because, see, look, I know two other pastors that when they hit a financial slump in their churches and either people were leaving and bailing out or they weren't able to make their bills, they just pulled the plug. And the church, the church no longer existed. Churches no longer existed. And in both those cases... 
the, the fallout in these pastors' families was tremendous. I can't explain that. I don't exactly know why it impacted their family so much, but it, the fallout in their families was significant and very, very bad. And again, I can't explain why that happened, but when things got really tight and really rough, they just decided to pull the plug. Well, Donna and I didn't do that. See, because folks, listen, if God calls you to something, you're supposed to stick with it even during the difficult times. Did you hear what I just said? Did you not like that statement? If God calls you to something, you're supposed to stick with it even during the difficult times. When God calls you to something, he's not necessarily promising you that it's going to be a bed of roses all the time. I mean, look at the patriarchs of the faith and what God called them to and what they had to walk through. So just because you're going through a tough time financially or relationally or, 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 or whatever the case may be, it doesn't mean that you're not called to what you're doing. That's a side note. Again, I want to reiterate that when God calls you to something, you're supposed to stick with it even during the lean and difficult times because it's simply a test of your faith. Simply a test of your faith. So fast forward a little bit. Um, COVID hit and things got better because right around the time that COVID hit, we came to the end of our lease. So because of the situation with COVID, our landlords uh, let us renegotiate our contract uh, for the lease of this building. It was significantly less and still is compared to what we were paying. So not only are our financial obligations less, but the money that's coming in is more. So we're doing way better. We're tremendously blessed as a church, but not only blessed as a church, but I want to give you just an updated testimony. When you sow into the kingdom, folks, even when it hurts, and perhaps especially when it hurts, but you just do it joyfully because God's called you to it, God notices those things. God notices those things. And about, I don't know, a few months ago, earlier in the year, um, someone who follows our ministry um, contacted us and said, hey, uh, we'd like to take you out to dinner. And uh, so we went to dinner with them, and they said, we want to buy you a car. And I went, what? Well, it just so happens, you know, I, I, I'd been driving a car that for a while that I really liked, and I wasn't even ready even to give it up, but I knew that the miles were racking up. And so I said a few prayers. I said, Lord, I know you got this covered. I know that when the time comes, you're, you're going to take care of us. And so God noticed all the sacrifices that we were making for the ministry and he decided to reward us because that's the way he works. So they said, we want to buy you a car. And they were urging me to get a brand new car. Um, the money that they gave us, by the way, could have purchased a high-end luxury car, brand new, and had money left over. Um, and what we ended up doing is I ended up buying a, a used high-end luxury car, paid a lot less money for it so that we could do some upgrades to our home that we needed to do as well that we'd also been praying about. So the amount of money came in not only covered the car, 
but it covered some of the upgrades that we needed to do to the house. And, uh, and also I was able to take the car that I was driving, which was still in really good shape. And I almost hated to give it up because I liked that car so much, but I was able to give it to Hannah, my daughter, who uh, also needed to upgrade her transportation. So do you see how God works? He kills several birds with one stone. He saw our sacrifice and our desire just to bless the ministry, even to our own hurt. And he said, son, now's the time for you to get some payback for the way that you blessed my church. And God is faithful. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I I, want to say this about this too. Some people may look at the car that I'm driving right now and say, what's a preacher need with a car like that? Well, first of all, I didn't pay a dime for that car. It's free and clear. It was given to me. And secondly, don't you think that God loves you enough just to give you good stuff? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I I was listening to Keith Moore talk one time, and he said that somebody gave him like this extravagantly expensive Rolex watch just to bless him. And sometimes people will see that on his his arm and go, what's a preacher need with a $20,000 Rolex? Well, again, he didn't pay a dime for that. Somebody gave that to him. It would be an insult for him not to wear it when somebody blessed him with it. It would be an insult to the person who bought me the car and to God to not drive that thing and enjoy it when it was a gift from God and to, for these individuals. Praise God. God's good to his people. So I just wanted to give you that testimony as a kind of a backdrop for where I'm going with the rest of this teaching on generosity because um, God will not be your debtor. He will not let you outgive him. Amen. So for now, let's, let's remind ourselves of the very high priority that God has upon generosity. So I've shared this scripture with you many times before. The, the concept before I give you the scripture is that God wants us to excel in the grace of giving. Write that down. God wants us to excel in the grace of giving. Everybody say excel. In the grace of giving. So let's read the scripture together. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's the Apostle Paul writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Corinthian Christians. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. What's excel mean? It means doing it really, really, really well. That's what excel means. And he he wants us to excel in the grace of giving. All right. I want to give you a little anecdote about this. In my marketplace work, uh, as most of you know, I'm, I'm a tent maker, so to speak. I, did what, I do what the Apostle Paul did. So he was a tent maker and a minister, and I work in the marketplace as well, uh, bivocationally and also minister. Um, and in my marketplace work, I have over 300 products that I have to know and understand. And not only know and understand, but be able to know them well enough to be able to um, intelligently discuss them and the science behind them with practitioners. Now, in contrast, a drug rep, pharmaceutical rep for a drug company, they usually have to know only one product, one drug. 
sometimes no more than three or four in some cases. So a drug rep, their work is kind of easy compared to mine. They kind of has a, have it easier compared to mine. And my, my marketplace work is sort of like our lives in Christ. You know, you can't just master one or two things and call it a day. You can't just say, well, I've really got this prayer thing down, so I'm on my way. No, folks, there are numerous things that God wants us to, to master and to know about. And that's why life in Christ is a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. And mastering generosity is one of the areas that's very important to God. So I want us to do a little personal evaluation today, if I could ask you to do that. And my question to you is this, have you grown in this area recently? Have you grown in excelling in the grace of giving recently? Or are you just on autopilot concerning yourself with just giving a certain amount every month and being satisfied with that? Or are you pushing forward, continually endeavoring to excel in the grace of giving? And I'm going to give you an example of a man who did exactly that. I've shared his story with you before, but some of you have not heard this. And this is a very inspiring story to me. It's the story of a man by the name of R.G. Latorno. There's a picture of R.G. Latorno. He was an inventor and is the founder of Caterpillar. And he's considered one of, the, one of the greatest entrepreneurs in American history. And one of the things that struck me about R.G. Latorno's life story is that he didn't set out to be rich. He simply set out to provide a service for mankind. And he used the abilities and the intellect that God gave him to do something constructive and useful and as he did that, combined with a very generous heart, God did the rest. See, he was constantly pushing forward and excelling in the grace of giving while also providing a service for mankind. Well, how did he do that? Well, he would literally go into some of these African villages and build them a school, build them a hospital or a medical facility and take all the equipment down there and, and, and excavate the, the land and build these buildings and then just leave all that heavy equipment for them to use. And he did all that for free. And he continued to increase the amount that he was giving. He started out with a 10% tithe, then he went to 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, so that toward the end of his life, Arjun Latorno gave away 90% of all of his wealth. And living like a king on the 10%. So he reversed the ratio. Rather than giving God 10% and living off 90, he was giving God 90% and living off the 10, but God had blessed him so much that he lived like a king off the 10%. And see, God's not a respecter of persons. He can do that with you and me. So the lesson that we can learn from Arjun Latorno's life is that First of all, are you doing something useful and constructive that benefits mankind? And number two, are you endeavoring to be more and more generous all the time? All right. So let me transition thoughts here for a moment, if I could. And I want to talk about that, that mammon that we talked about in that master text, okay? So we have to recognize how that perverted spirit of mammon operates, and that's what it is. It's a spirit. 
See, that's why I, I don't like that more modern translation where it says um, you can't serve both God and money. That's not really what it's talking about. You can't serve both God and that perverted spirit of mammon that causes you to be selfish and self-centered all the time. See, that's what mammon does. Mammon whispers in your ear and says, well, you can't give right now because you've got this financial obligation coming up and you may not know if you're going to have enough. Mammon's constantly talking to you. Mammon is a spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a devotion or a worship of money or possessions. That's what mammon is. That's why you can't serve both God and mammon. Are you with me? So we have to recognize how that perverted spirit of mammon operates. So I'm going to reference here Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Once again, this is a part of our master text, and Jesus is once again speaking. No one can serve two masters. I'm reading this out of a different version this time that uses that word mammon. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, selfishness, then, will often attempt to disguise itself behind a facade of virtue. And that's how mammon works. I'm going to say that again. Selfishness will often attempt to disguise itself behind a facade of a virtue. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, mammon will, first of all, try to prevent detection. That's the first thing. It doesn't want you to notice that it's there and working on you. So it tries to prevent detection. Secondly, it will hide itself from you if it can and then disguise itself as something good. And one example of this deceptive nature of mammon is found in the account of Judas in John chapter 12, you might write that down, John 12 verses 1 through 7, where the woman came into the house where Jesus was with a very expensive alabaster jar of anointing oil. And it said the, the cost of that anointing oil was about a year's wages, extremely expensive, extremely rare. And it was imported actually from the Himalayas. If you do a little you know, background study uh, on that, the, that spike nard is what it was, it was the name of the anointing oil, spikenard, which was made from a plant, a very, very rare plant that grew in the Himalayas. So it was a very pleasant smelling um, anointing oil and very expensive. And so when that woman came in and dumped the entire thing on Jesus, what did Judas stand back and do? He judged the situation. He got indignant, the Bible says. The Bible says he got indignant because what did he do? He saw dollar signs in his eyes. And he said, well, this could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But that account goes on to say that Judas cared nothing for the poor because he was the treasurer of Jesus' group and kept the money bag and used to help himself to some of it. So what Judas was seeing when this woman dumped this entire alabaster jar of perfume or anointing oil on Jesus, he, he, this was what he was thinking. She could have sold that and given that money to our ministry, and I would have had more to pilfer from. There's a second issue here about selfishness that I want you to recognize. Judas didn't think Jesus was worth that kind of sacrifice. See, selfishness is only thinking about itself. And when that extravagant, expensive gift was poured upon Jesus, and it was, it was a very temporary gift. I mean, Jesus would probably smell fantastic for about three or four days, but it's going to wear off eventually. So it was very, very temporary. So 
Judas apparently didn't think that Jesus was valuable enough for that kind of extravagance. Because selfishness doesn't think that way. It's only thinking of itself, right? That's how mammon operates. It disguises itself as something good. See, Judas presented himself like he cared for the poor so much. But he didn't. That was just a disguise to cover over his selfishness. That's how mammon operates. Another example here that I want to give is that I know that there are some people who will practically fight you over the concept of tithing, stating that it's under the law, so we don't have to do that anymore. I mean, some people get fighting mad about it. Now, now, by the way, if you're not familiar with the concept of tithing, some of you, that simply means giving 10% of your income right off the top, not waiting until you find out if you have enough left over after you take care of all your other obligations. That, that's not how tithing is done. Tithing is the first 10% right off the top. You worship God with it and give that first 10%, and then God blesses the rest. That's how tithing works. Well, I'm going to show you in a moment how tithing supersedes the law and is therefore timeless. But the point I'm making here about mammon is that people will often hide their selfishness behind bad theology to try to justify themselves. Uh-oh. Did you hear what I just said? People will try to hide their selfishness behind bad theology to make it look virtuous. But folks, if we're going to insulate ourselves from whatever financial trouble is coming upon this world and indeed is already here... We're, then we're going to have to stop justifying our selfishness and learn to be generous. Because by the laws of sowing and reaping, you're going to get back exactly according to how you gave or didn't give. Luke 6.38 says that give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be heaped into your bosom. If you read the context, it's not just talking about money, by the way. It's also talking about judgment. You give judgment, you're going to get judgment back exactly how you gave it out. You give mercy, you're going to get mercy back exactly how you gave it out. You measure it. You measure how you give back. And the same is true with money. You give, the amount that you give is the amount you're going to give back. Here's another reference to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says that if you sow sparingly, meaning give, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. And that passage is talking about money. Okay? So again, God has a method of crushing mammon into the dust. And it's with tithes, offerings, and alms. In other words, all the different ways that the Bible talks about being generous. And while the tithe is only the starting place, I want to talk a little bit more about the tithe today because there's a big misunderstanding in the body of Christ today that I want to help us to navigate. So as a way to kick off this part of our discussion, we're going to play a little game right now. And, and Donna, I don't have my wallet on me. Could you pull a 20 out and give that to me? Because I'm going to give that to... We're, we're just throwing out money here today. Uh, we're going to play a little game right now, and it's the church version of Wheel of Fortune. Thank you. Um, only there's no wheel, but you still get to fill in the missing word. Um, now, 
By the way, this is the third time that I've done this when I've taught on this. Um, the first time that I did this, nobody got the, the missing word. That, so I had to give it to you. The second time I did this, one person got it. This time, since this is the third time I've done this now, repetition is the mother of learning. Several of you may know this. So here's how we're going to do this. Rather than... Um, I'm going to show you a screen here in just a second with the missing word. If you think you know the missing word, don't shout out the word, shout out your name. And the first name that I hear, I'm going to walk over to you. You're going to whisper the answer in my ear so that if you're wrong, you don't tip off everybody else. Okay, so that's how we're going to do that. So are you okay with that? You're going to shout out what? Your name. Okay, so here we go. For some of you, this may be quick. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. <clears throat> tithing is a blank code, not just a ceremonial law. Tithing is a blank code, not just a ceremonial law. It was Hannah? Oh, you won last time? <laughs> Hannah's next? Okay. Hannah, Marie, Rob... You get, it. you get the money. I, I, I almost called her by uh, her, her maiden name, since she's my daughter. Hannah Marie Miller wins the $20. Good job. We, we throw money around here. It's like, hey, man, I like that church. They throw money around in that church. So, yeah. So, very good, Hannah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so, for those of you that didn't know that, Hopefully, now that this is the third time, repetition is a mother of learning. That's the right answer. Tithing is a moral code, not just a ceremonial law. Let's say that together. Tithing is a moral code, not just a ceremonial law. All right. Let me ask you another question. Um, actually, do you have another 20? She's the money bags in our family. Okay, so this is not part of our Wheel of Fortune game because I don't have this up on the screen. But hopefully some of you may remember from our last teaching why it's a moral code. Can anybody tell me why tithing is a moral code? And just go ahead and just shout it out. Anybody at all? It's a matter of the heart. Um, is that exactly what I'm looking for? Um, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor that. Good job, Bill. $20 for you. Now I'm in debt to Donna. No. Um, yeah, okay, so, so why is it a moral code? Because it was something that was written on people's hearts prior to any ceremonial law being passed down. So that's why I honored Bill's answer, because it, he's right. It's a matter of the heart. It's not just a ceremonial law because it was written on people's hearts before a ceremonial law was being passed down. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to give you a, a few scriptural exa examples here. In Genesis 4, we see the, the account of Cain and Abel. Now, this might, might be the first mention of the tithe, although the, the, the text doesn't specifically use the word tithe. But I think this is a tithe personally because each man was giving a portion of his income. You know, Cain 
was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. And so they both brought portions of their income. Now, this this big controversy and argument about, maybe it's not an argument, but some people think that uh, the reason that God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice was because he was supposed to bring a blood sacrifice and he brought portions from his crops. Maybe that was the case, I don't know, but in reading the context, it seems to make a lot more sense to me that they were bringing portions of their profession. So this seems to me to be a tithe. Okay, so this might be the first mention of a tithe, but the next one is definitely a tithe. Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham and Melchizedek uh, appear. And Abraham had just gotten back from a conquest where he rescued uh, his family from uh, being kidnapped. Uh, this, this war in this region um, with several different kings and in the process, um, his family was kidnapped. Uh, I actually say Lot, his nephew and his family was kidnapped. So he went after Lot to rescue him and his family and won a great victory over an alliance of kings and got a great plunder from that. So what, what's the first thing that he did? He found the local priest, Melchizedek, and he tithed 10% to the local priest. So now notice that this was definitely a tithe because the text specifically says so. It uses that word. And bear in mind, look, this was 2,500 years before the giving of the law. Why is that important? Because since tithing preceded the law, it's part of a moral code, like what we talked about a few minutes ago, such as thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. Now, I just listed three Ten Commandments right there, part of the Ten Commandments, but those Ten Commandments are part of a moral code, so they're timeless. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. Those are moral codes, even though they appear in the law, those are moral codes because those were written on men's hearts prior to any ceremonial law being given, and tithing is exactly the same way. So, look, tithing did not pass away under the law because it was never introduced under the law in the first place. I need to say that again because this is a big controversy in the body of Christ today. Books have been written about it, and I've sat across the table from people that kind of read me the riot act because I believed in tithing. And hardly any of those people, by the way, are very blessed. I just want to say that. Every, every tither I know, every person that's generous to the kingdom I know, they're pretty blessed people. Okay? But so I want to say this again. Tithing didn't pass away under the law because it was never introduced under the law in the first place. Okay? It's timeless. We should tithe. It's just the right thing to do, to give back to God, to support His church and His kingdom as a way to honor Him for His abundant provisions. Hallelujah. But as more proof of the timeless nature of tithing, I want to give you a reference from the New Testament now. Uh Uh-oh, the New Testament also makes mention of this. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians again. He says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, what day is that? Sunday. Each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. What's that mean? That's a percentage, isn't it? 
So a percentage set aside, it's not a set amount, it's a percentage according to your income. Sounds like a tithe to me. Sounds like a tithe to me. Now, if you go study this out on your own, by the way, I, would, I, I need to be quick to point out that God never said to give your tithe. He said to bring it. Why is that distinction important? Because the tithe belongs to him. So he says to bring it, not give it. It's not yours to give anyway. He says to bring it. Okay, l- let me give you a little example of this. So this morning, I was using a little a cordless system on my guitar, which is what shorted out on me during that first song. Uh, that's what that was. It's a little cordless uh, system, these two little things that you stick in, in the guitar instead of cable, and then it goes in anyway. Um, so it's just a way to be able to move around a little easier and not be tied to a cable on the guitar. So there's this little cordless system that you can use that replaces a, a cable. Well, <clears throat> again, that's what, I don't know what the issue was with it this morning, but that's what went out, so I had to swap it out for a cord or a cable really quickly. Well, anyway, that a little system belongs to Don. He brought it to church one day and he said, I've got this little cordless system I don't use. Do you want to use it? I said, yeah, sure. I, I, I like going cordless. Um, so that, that system actually belongs to Don. Um, so let's say I use that for a while. And then when I return it to Don, let's say that I say to Don, um, Don, I, I just want to give you this cordless remote system. <laughs> Don would say, um, I'm sorry, I loaned that to you. That belongs to me. You're not giving me anything. You're just returning it to me. Right? That's the same way the tithe works. The tithe is God's. So we don't give it. We simply return it because it's his. Do you see the difference? Is this making sense? So that's why God told the Israelites in the book of Malachi that they were robbing him by not bringing the tithe because the tithe belongs to him. He says it's his. And listen to me, God never demands something of us without there being a benefit to us for our obedience. It would be me like returning that cordless system, that cordless remote system back to Don, and then Don saying, you know what, I just want to bless you for you know, bringing my stuff back to me in a timely fashion. Uh, here, here's a new set of guitar strings. Well, he wouldn't have to do that because I'm just returning what already belongs to him. Why would he need or even want to bless me for bringing something back that belongs to him? You see what I'm saying? You see what I mean by that? That's the way God treats us. He says, when you obey me with the tithe and you return the tithe to me, I'm going to bless you back in response. Because that's the heart of God. God's a giver. God is a giver. I'm just kind of holding myself back and giving you all of my testimony about how God's blessed us. What time is it? Do I have time to do this? Okay, all right. I'm going to give you just a little bit of it. <clears throat> when when uh, Donna and I got engaged, I was working for a furniture-making wood shop, and I was the finished man. I was making a whopping $10 an hour because I'm so, so in high demand. And, uh, and so uh, that place folded about two weeks before I walked down the aisle. So when I got married, I was unemployed. And the, the most joyous time of your life, yeah, and Donna married me anyway. Yeah. 
Love is blind, I guess they say. Um, so I walked down the aisle unemployed. And the next several weeks I was unemployed. <clears throat> but you know what? We were, we're, we were committed to the tithe. Even though we were a one-income family and we were living in this little dinky apartment, we still couldn't make our bills. So by the time we paid our rent, uh, paid our utilities, there a lot of times wasn't enough food, uh, money left over to buy food because tithing was our first priority. So we tithed first, paid our bills next, and then if there was any money left over, we would buy food. And many times there wasn't enough money left over to buy food, so we put groceries on our credit card in order to be able to eat because we were not giving up the tithe. Just, we were just not going to give it up. And so several weeks passed by and it looked like nothing was happening. And I kind of got a little antsy there for a while, but we never wavered on the tithe. That came off the top. And then I was looking in the classifieds in the Indianapolis Star for a job, and I found the job that I'm still doing today 30 years later, and God has blessed me. That, the, the very first day of my job, by the way, and I'm not going to go into all the details about how I got the job, but that was a miracle too because I was a long-haired kid you know, with hair down to my collarbones and competing against all these other professional men for this job, and I'm the one that got it. Favor of God. Favor of God. The very first day on my job, I'm making double what I'd ever made my entire life, which at that point wasn't saying a whole lot, but it's grown since then. God has blessed it because when we get an increase, we increase our tithing. We increase our giving. We're always constantly trying to excel in the grace of giving. And now, if I could say this, God's blessed me with an executive income. I make more money than most of the doctors I call on because just God's so faithful to me. And every time we get an increase, we, we, we give. And we are so generous to the poor. We, in fact, we're so generous that one time we got audited because the IRS didn't believe that we were actually giving away that much money. <laughs> and then everything panned out. I mean, we, we passed the audit because we were able to uh, verify everything because we kept good records. But, but I'm telling you, folks, God's no respect your persons. If you get serious about excelling in the grace of giving, God will bless you the same or perhaps more than he's blessed me. So again, God never demands something of us without there being a benefit on our end for our obedience. So I want to answer some common questions now as we come down home stretch. And by the way, I want to say this too. There's some people in our church that I've taught these principles to. And listen, if you stick with me, I'll show you how to prosper. And some of you experience that. There's people in this congregation right now, you're making a little measly income, barely making ends meet, and, and, and you, I got a hold of you. God got a hold of you through me, and I taught you how to give. Matt's raising his hand back there in the back. Matt's one of them. Matt Cooley started out making, it was, can I say this, Matt? It was a pitiful income. It was. He was, he was working a job he didn't like at a, at a, a uh, what was it, Matt, a tool Tool shop, and he, he, a machine shop. He didn't like the job. He wasn't making a very, uh, very much money at all. And I started encouraging Matt, Matt, God's got more, something more for you than this. You just need to begin to sow into his kingdom and start believing in yourself. And today, Matt is making an executive income in a job that he likes. Yeah. Hallelujah. 
So again, you stick around here long enough, we'll teach you how to prosper. Now, I want to answer some common questions uh, about tithing, because I know there's some sticking points that some people have and some legitimate questions that people have. So bear with me for just a few more minutes here. I want to answer these questions, and then we'll be done. So I got about three or four of them, and then we'll be done. So the first one is this. Can I tithe somewhere else other than my church? Okay, let's, let's talk about that. The tithe in the Bible always went to one of two places in the Old Testament. The first one was the priest or the spiritual authority in one's life, like we saw with Abraham and Melchizedek. And it also went to the storehouse in Malachi 3, which is reference to the place of worship or spiritual provision where one attends regularly. So if you tithe to, let's say, your favorite TV preacher and not to your church, let me ask you to try something. (laughs) The next time you need personal counseling... The next time you need ministry or advice or you need a minister to perform a wedding or a funeral for your family or you need some prayer or someone to lay hands on you, I hope you see where I'm going with this. Your favorite TV preacher isn't coming to do your wedding or anything else I just mentioned. Why? Because he's not your pastor. He's not the man that God put you under. See, the tithe should always go to the place, the local place of worship to uh, where, where God planted you. The tithe should always go to your local place of worship where God planted you to support your ministry, uh, the ministry of your church, and your, and your spiritual overseer. And there's a blessing attached to that. See, ultimately... It would be nice if there was enough money coming in that I wouldn't have to do bivocational work. That would be the ultimate situation to benefit you guys if I wasn't spread so thin. But that's okay. God's given me grace and is giving you grace. It'll be, it'll be like that one day. But see, this is an, another reason why the tithe should always go to the local place of worship where God has planted you to support the ministry of your church and your spiritual overseers. And there is a blessing attached to that. Now, listen, I'm not against giving to outside ministries because Donna and I do that too. But Donna and I give to outside ministries over and above our tithe. See, 100% of our tithe goes to this church 100% of the time. And God has blessed us. God has blessed Look, I think so many people think that pastors, when they talk about money, are just being money-grubbing. I'm going to tell you, this church is doing great financially. I'm doing great financially. I don't need your tithe. God doesn't need your tithe. But there's a blessing in you giving your tithe. Okay? And I'm going to say this too. And this is to the glory of God, just to show you that I don't personally need your tithe. And and this church person doesn't need your tithe. um, But it's important that you give it for your benefit and the benefit of the kingdom. I'm going to say this just to demonstrate that truth. I'm the, Donna and me are the biggest givers in this church. We are. There's only two or three families that even come close to how much we give. We're the biggest givers and we always have been. So please don't come to me and accuse me. You pastors are just money grubbing. You're just talking about tithing because you want to line your pocket. Folks, the amount of money that the salary that I take from this church, most of you probably couldn't even live on. Okay? God has blessed me outside of the small salary that we take from this church. Okay? So please don't accuse me of, of 
being money grubbing and talking about this only because of my personal benefit. I don't need your tithe. God takes good care of me. Okay, hallelujah. All right, so here's a, a legit, legitimate question under this heading. Can I tithe somewhere else other than my church? Well, what about the poor then? Because some people may say, well, what if I don't have enough money to tithe and give to the poor? Well, that's one reason why you want to make sure you know where the money is going uh, in the church that you tithe to. Because if that church isn't giving to the poor already, you might want to think twice about supporting it. And of course, this church has been extremely generous to the poor over the years, even to our own hurt at times. Some of you newer ones don't know this, but... Even when we're still leasing a building of our own and believing God for our own place, we built a church building for a congregation in Kenya. There's a structure standing in Kenya right now because Blessed Life Fellowship built it. Every dime. So, yeah. So, please don't accuse us of being money-grubbing because we give to the poor all the time have been a tremendous blessing to people. So again, if you're tithing to a church that is dedicated to giving to the poor like this one, you're already giving to the poor indirectly. But if you can do something over and above your tithe for the poor, well, I think you should because the Bible tells us to do that. Okay, here's the next question. Can I tithe my time? Like serving in the church, helping a needy family, volunteering for community service, etc. Well, remember, part of our master text in, in Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why God has ordained a portion of one's income, their money, to be the only thing that qualifies as a tithe. See, the tithe, by definition, was always the first portion off the top of one's income. So do I think that you should give your, of your time and serve? Of course I do. But the only thing that qualifies as a tithe is your income. Third question, will God curse me if I don't tithe? Well, we operate by Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So no, God's not going to put a curse on you if you don't tithe, but there's another truth here to consider, and that's that even so, failing to obey any command has natural consequences. See, when we don't obey God's instructions regarding our money, we remove ourselves from the greater realms of God's blessings. Did, did you catch that? Yeah. When we don't obey God with our money, or anything else for that matter, we remove ourselves from the greater realms of His blessings. We, we sacrifice some rewards, some blessings. When we don't obey God with our money, we make our money vulnerable to the curse that's already in operation in the world. How many of you would acknowledge there is a curse operating in the world today? And when we don't operate according to God's standards regarding our money, we make that money vulnerable to the curse that's already in operation in the world. Yet, Proverbs 10.22 says, But the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. You know, my mentor, Dr. Jerry King, says, ultimately, get this, ultimately, everyone tithes one way or the other. You either voluntarily give to God, tithe to God. You either voluntarily tithe to God, or you will, quote, tithe to Satan. What's he mean by that? You either bring your money under the blessing, or you bring it under the curse. One way or the other. Listen, no one can ever say that they tried God's financial principles and they didn't work. Because God's word always works as long as you work God's word. Amen. See, listen, if you find that things still aren't right in your finances, well, 
You may need to just get before the Lord in his word and prayer and fasting and find out what's wrong. See, and I realize that things ebb and flow just naturally sometimes in one's finances. And and that's true too. Um, But when people find themselves just in terrible shape financially, just constantly, continually, well, it might be time to do some serious prayer, fasting, and study in that area. And when we do that, more often than not, we're going to usually find that the problem is staring back at us in the mirror. Folks, look, once again, God's word works as long as you work God's word. You can't just agree with God's word, but then not do what it says. You've got to work his word. And there are many financial principles in God's word, such as, for example, hard work, which I know work is a four-letter word these days to some people with this entitlement mentality. But work is a very important financial principle in the Bible. So is saving, not overspending, budgeting, investing. These are all found in the word of God. But everything starts with generosity. If you don't have that right, then not much else is going to work the way it should. And, and look, God wants us to imitate him. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. God wants us to imitate him. And God's not a taker. He's a giver. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. God loves to reward his faithful ones. So I'm almost done. Hang with me. I know we're going a little long today, but, but I'm almost done. I want to give you three more scriptures and we're going to end. So God doesn't take and then not give back. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 makes mention of this supernatural law of sowing and reaping. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. It's a paradox, isn't it? One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Say that with me. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Hallelujah. And then Psalm 35, 27, get this. The Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God loves it when you do well. God loves it when you do well. And he has a method by which for you to do well. He just wants you to follow his instructions. He's testing your heart. You know, tithing, as an example, is a test of the heart. You're going to trust God or not? So I want to end by saying I have one more scripture to give you. Before I give you that scripture, I want to end by saying this, that God doesn't intend for you to, for you to suffer financially because of his commands to be generous. In fact, just the opposite is true, folks. He's trying to get you to walk in the blessing. You see, God's kingdom works exactly the opposite of how the the world system works. The world system drives a person to work endless hours and to hoard and to think only of oneself and to be selfish. But God's system works by sowing and reaping, like farming. See, the farmer plants the seed in the ground, and after many days, he reaps a harvest. And that's exactly how financial principles work. God is wanting wanting us to understand the same principles when it comes to our finances. If you sow into God's kingdom and his people, you will reap in time if you do it the right way and with the right motives. I mentioned Mylon Lefevre a teaching or two ago. 
And I mentioned that every time I talked to Milan, I either had to take notes or record the conversation because he's going to say something you want to remember for sure. One of my favorite Milanisms, a saying that he had that he repeated a lot, is that God always pays his bills. What's that mean? It means that God's not going to let you outgive him. So remember that as we endeavor to excel in the grace of giving so that we build ourselves a financial ark in these turbulent times. This is my last scripture and we're done. Donna, could you come up and play something? This is Psalm 37, 25. I was once young, but now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Isn't that a great promise? Let's read it again. I was once young, but now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Would you stand with me, please? Were you encouraged by this teaching today? Uh, Do you think that you have enough faith to let go of some of your money when God says he's going to bless you in return? Let me try that again. Because it is a walk of faith, ladies and gentlemen. It's a walk of faith. Uh, And God knew that. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knew that you're going to be tested by his financial principles. He did it on purpose. So that you don't worship the spirit of mammon, but you worship him instead. So my question is, do we have enough faith as a congregation to trust God with our personal income? Okay, come on up. I'm sorry I So I got a job like, I don't know, six years ago, and we were standing on the word that God would give me the best job, making the best money with the best benefits, and he sure did. And so I've been there for about six years, and um, I started out the best money I've ever made. And last year, God uh, gave me a job. Gosh, I was I was making more money. gave me a $3 raise. And uh, I got word about a month ago that my job was being eliminated as of, as of Friday. And so Doug and I stood on the word that we've been faithful. We've been faithful. But God has taken care of us in that when they gave me that notice, they said, we're going to give you 12 and a half weeks paid, your, your normal pay, 12 and a half weeks, which is, which is awesome, and your benefits and your insurance. But yet the Holy Spirit, because Doug and I have been faithful tithers, the Holy Spirit said, I wasn't even surprised when they said, we're, we're eliminating your job. I knew because the Holy Spirit three weeks ago said, start looking for a job, start looking for a job. And so I started looking for a job. And the week they told me that I was losing my job, eliminating my job, well, I had an interview, a great interview. And I found out on Friday that tomorrow I'm getting an offer. I just left the job Friday. Okay, God took care of me. So I, somebody might be in that stage, but God does take care of us. But we've been faithful and we're standing on his promises. And we've been in this church for 13 years and we know what Andy is saying is true. Our daughter tithes. We brought her up in under Andy and, and she tithed and she's blessed and I will say I can vouch for Andy he doesn't want your money he doesn't need your money he is blessed amen amen hallelujah let's pray father thank you so much 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.